Welcome listeners to the September edition of the Journal Club podcast. I'm Joe Domino, a resident of the University of Kansas, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we'll be discussing a topic that can be daunting to address, but is certainly something every neurosurgeon faces, and that's complications. We'll be discussing an essay-style article from Dr. Morcos entitled uh, Neurosurgical Complications, Forgive and Remember. With us today is the author. Dr. Morcos, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you for having me. I'm Jacques Morcos. I'm professor and co-chairman of neurosurgery at the University of Miami, where I've been the last 26 years. Very good, thank you for joining. Uh, Dr. Camerata is our guest faculty. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, I'm uh, Paul Camerata, uh, president and chair at the University of Kansas Department of Neurosurgery and a dear friend and uh, colleague and co-resident of Professor Morcos. And, and I'm related to you too, Joe. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, my, my mentor, certainly. Uh, thank you for joining us. And Dr. Huang, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Kimberly Huang. Um, I am an assistant professor of neurosurgery and at the Winship Cancer Institute uh, over here at Emory University. Thank you very much for joining us. And again, I'm Joe Domino, uh, PGY7 at the University of Kansas, and I'll be your host for this episode. So Dr. Morcos, would you like to start us off with a summary of the paper and perhaps the night is behind writing this piece? Yes, uh, thanks, uh, Joe. Really, the idea actually was not mine. The idea was my good friend, Peter Vashkozy, who's uh, a chair of neurosurgery in Berlin at Charité Hospital. He wrote a book which is now published and he was asking his friends to write very short essays about different topics for his book. His book was really a reflective book. It wasn't a scientific book about neurosurgery. And he asked me to talk about complications, how I deal with them in cerebrovascular and skull base. So I wrote a little something, sent it to him, and then got me thinking. It's published in German, by the way, that book, not in English. Then I thought, you know, maybe what I've written would be of interest to, obviously, our English-speaking audience here, particularly in the US. So I expanded on it and, uh, and, and presented it uh, to, and to neurosurgery and uh, it was accepted. And, uh, and that's the story behind it. Um, I can say if I'm happy to summarize briefly what's in it, or maybe we can talk about it later, part of the questions, whatever you'd like. Yeah, I think, um, I think we can jump into some questions. I think we'll get to a lot of that uh, throughout. So um, I'll open the floor to Dr. Camerata. Well, Jacques, in, in skull base and cerebrovascular surgery, and the complications are undoubtedly or can be, uh, you know, horrific or devastating, as you mentioned in the article. Um, how do you how do you deal with that, um, you know, on a personal level? Uh, do you try and remain? I, you've addressed some of this in the in the article. Do you try and remain aloof? I know you don't bring it home, uh, or do you? Uh, uh, undoubtedly, you carry some of this with you. You know, the the, the, the Rich quote on. Uh, we all carry the the cemetery around with us. Uh, tell us a little about about how you deal with that. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And and you and I, as you as as we all know, we know you and I. We have common lineage. We we owe a lot of perhaps our philosophy with dealing with complications from our mentor Roberto Heros, who there is nobody more honest and forthcoming with their approach to dealing and recognizing complications as he is, as I'm sure you, you'll agree with me. And as you know, he is my, has been my partner many years. So 
I am pretty sure a lot of my own philosophy about dealing with complications uh, has rubbed from, from his teachings. Mm -hmm. And the uh, bottom line is honesty, honesty to oneself. And yes, they can be daunting and devastating and losing a patient we all know absolutely will hurt you. Will, you may put a brave face, but it absolutely hurts you. What, the only way I felt and learned over the years to deal with it is to analyze it, uh, uh, call it what it is. If there is a certain mistake that happened, just recognize it and, you know, don't repeat it again. And uh, uh, that's a brief answer to your question. And then to, to try and do what you can, if it is a preventable complication, to keep it from happening again. And, you know, we've, we learned that from Roberto uh, you know, I, 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 I tell my residents, I was involved, I was in the case that he presented about the subclinoid aneurysm that people still talk about and how he, you know, had the, uh, you know, the, the courage to, to write about that uh, in, in that article in the Red Journal. So uh, it's, uh, you're right, it, it comes from, uh, you know, incredible mentorship. And, and that's how we learn to deal with these things. By, by the way, Paul, uh, you know, he told me that he cannot count the number of times people would stop him in different countries, different conferences. Dr. Harris, thank you for publishing this case. You, 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 I, yeah. you prevented me from causing complication. It's those are very meaningful. The honesty in, in stating the tragedies that we've lived. I mean, that's that's what legacy is about. Is so that people don't repeat your own mistakes. One other quick question on that note. Um, you know, I think you were you were there when Ch Charlie Drake came and spoke to us uh, at Minnesota as visiting professor. Yeah. And yeah. he would put up his his slides and, you know, Mr. Johnson, Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Uh, Collison. He remembered the names of every patient, you know, showing these these complications. Did, does a and, similar thing like that happen to you? Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not as good as Drake was with that, uh, but uh... Roberto certainly would remember it. Charlie Drake, you know, if you recall, would remember what they did for a living as well. And uh, uh, no, I, I cannot say that I remember all those details on my patients. I do on the ones where things have not gone well, of course, because then mm -hmm. you get so deeply invested in their well-being and you, you want things to go well from here going forward. Great, thank you. Uh, Dr. Morker, has a, a quick question for you. Does do you think that you know managing these complications you know becomes easier you know through your career, or perhaps the the challenges you know change over time? Just thinking about you know as as a you know chief resident looking at um, cases where you feel more responsible and taking more responsibility for your patient, uh, moving into you know junior faculty and then more senior faculty now looking back. Yeah, it's, 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 I get this question. I've gotten this question many times, uh, Joe, particularly from my own residents and from, from younger faculty. So looking back, um, you know, yes, let me, I would summarize by saying it gets easier, not because the complications are less intense, but because your ability to adapt as a more experienced surgeon to tragedy just growing up as a human being, forget being a surgeon, just us growing up as men and women, and uh, you just learn from life. So yes, it is certainly, I am much better at handling 
a complication now than I would have been 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the complications don't get easier per se. As a matter of fact, the more experienced you become, the bigger cases you will handle and therefore the potential for bigger tragedies are there and they occur. Um, the way I rationalize it, and as they say, I can get back on the horse the next day onto the next case, is, uh, is to say, have I done my best? If I have not done my best, then I'd better pay for it. You know, I, if I have done my best, no matter, to be honest, how tragic the complication is, it's a little more palatable, particularly if I've done the proper decision making, gone through this, as I, you know, I say in the article, you, you rerun the whole movie in your head and you say, well, where did, where did I screw up? Did, how bad did I screw up? So if I can rationalize, analyze all this and run my own, you know, court proceedings in my own mind and say, you know, this was a tough case, it, you know, it's, it's more palatable and you can get back on the horse the next day. You mentioned in your article the importance of cooperative counseling um, in the office or, you know, before surgery as a way to sort of deal with complications that arise in the post-operative period and how important that is. And I've certainly felt that in my practice. Um, what are some practical tips or tricks you can give for trainees or young attendings like myself to sort of really make the most of your preoperative counseling and to sort of set those expectations for patients so that when a complication happens, it's potentially not as... Stressful. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Kimberly. My, my first piece of advice, and we, I mean, all of us here are in uh, academic institution, we train residents, we train fellows, it is the duty of the attending to, to discuss operative consent with the patient. It is completely unfair to ask a resident to discuss the subtleties of an operative consent in a case. And you, you and I'm not talking medical legally. I'm talking uh, from a human perspective. Yes, of course, it's better medical legally, and that you're going to document that you said. But I'm not talking about that. The, it, we owe it to the patient to answer, not in a generic way, what uh, this craniotomy for this uh, cavernous sinus meningioma is. No, you need to specify. You know, in your case, I think the third nerve is here, and the sixth nerve is here. And I think in your case, I'm more worried about this and I'm worried about that. How can we expect a trainee to know that? They don't. Let them listen to you. Listen how you tailor your operative consent discussion with each case. And of course, that's how they, they'll build their own uh, confidence in doing it. Uh, and, you know, I'm all for complete transparency with the patients. Uh, you know, when I sit in the office, uh, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, God bless his soul, you know, uh, uh, Bernard George died now. He, Bernard uh, would sit next to his patient when he would discuss consent, not across the desk from the patient. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to be trusted. And if they feel you're not, you know, you're treating them like human beings, that's what you want to do. So I, you know, I often come, I bring my chair, I sit next to them. And yes, I put the hand on the shoulder and all those things. But that's not an act. That's how you feel about it. And that's what I want to portray to my patient. Mm 
Yeah, I, I, I learned uh, from Roberto, as I'm sure you did, you know, the, the moments before they wheel back to the operating room are not the times to go through all of these, you know, horrendous complications that can happen. You know, he would, he would grab their hand and say, everything's going to go perfect. You know, it's going to be great. Don't right. worry. We, we've talked about everything in the office, but, you know, everything's going to go well just to give them that confidence uh, uh, before going in. Oh, it's true. You can't, I mean, the fact that they are in the pre-op area, it means that they've already analyzed it, yeah. the pros yeah. and cons and made that decision. How could they have made it without you having thoroughly talked about it? And you know, the other thing, Paul, I, I'm not sure how you do it, whether you use a lot of statistics. I mean, I use to some degree, you need some objective science a little bit, but you have to color it. You have to put it in context and... Uh, and I, you know, I may, I may speak differently to two different patients about yes. the same exact operation. You know, we've got to be good psychologists analyzing, yeah. well, what, what will not, you're not trying to fool the patient. You're trying to really communicate essential information for the decision-making. Two different patients with two different psychologies deserve different presentations don't you think oh I mean, yes yeah no i mean i along what you said about dr drake and shelly shoes another person that used to do this you know what what does the patient do for a living i ask my residents that all the time i think joe joe knows by this time that he he better know you know because you're going to maybe talk differently about a surgery in you know a, a low-grade glioma and eloquent cortex to an attorney than you are to a truck driver or a carpenter or something like that so yeah, I, I think um, those are those are very important things. I mean, it was a part of your article, uh, um, you know, the fundamental part of dealing with uh, complications, the art of communication, you know, and you don't clam up. I mean, how many how many lawsuits have we seen or we've been asked to consult on, you know, where as soon as a really bad complication happens, the surgeon ducks away disappears, stop seeing the patient, you know, no, that, that is the time when, when you have to over communicate, you know? Yes. Yeah. Very true. Absolutely. Dr. Marcos, um, you know, uh, oftentimes, you know, at a, you know, as we, you know, finish up, um, you know, attending may, may go talk to a family, they may, you know, leave their, their trainee, you know, finishing up getting the patient, you know, off the table back to the, um, in recovery and all of that. So they may not be a part of those conversations all the time. And, and um, even when things go well, I know that, you know, sometimes I'll make an effort to, you know, go along with some of our, you know, some of our mentors just to see those conversations or, you know, be a fly on the wall. Um, do you involve your trainees in some of these discussions or have you ever, you know, or, or been privy to, you know, seeing, you know, one of your mentors or Dr. Harris, you know, talk to a patient and their family about when something does go wrong? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I mean, you know, it's part of the rounds. Uh, it is essential. It's essential part of the training. Uh, when, uh, you know, you sit down and you try to analyze it because, you know, they, the patients get lost in these situations. They see the junior resident rounding at 6 a.m. and then the chief coming later and the nurse practitioner and they're bombarded uh, often with so-called contradictory information. So you need, you, the captain of the ship, need to bring everybody, all those faces that they see, and they perhaps misunderstand or it's not communicated well. When they see them with you, you're giving a consistent message. 
everybody's standing there. So that's one, one advantage. Second advantage is the residents need to learn how to talk to patients, correct? And I mean, I, I don't know how, how else to, you can't, you can't read a book about it. We, you know, we need to, to come and see how Paul Camarata, how, how I do, you know, how, how we, over the years, what, what worked for us, what doesn't work, those four. Yeah, absolutely. I envy, you know, the part of your article where you said you, you don't bring anything home, uh, because I tend to, to bring things home. <laughs> try, I try to keep it away from my family. But uh, my wife says she can always tell when I've had a really tough case, because my sleep is, is affected, <laughs> you know, she said, you're, you know, you're sweating a lot during sleep, you know, and I, I, I've had dreams on, you know, AVM's gone <laughs> bad, where I'm just seeing blood and blood and more blood. She's, so she can tell, even though I try and, and keep it away. You mean before the surgery or after the surgery? <laughs> right. <Or> yes. <laughs> Very good. Touche. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Paul, I've been that I have been very good about really not. I mean, you know, my wife, you know, Fiona, I, I do not bring anything home really, truly. Um, you know, it's just, it's for what, the reasons I, I mentioned in the article, number one, you need to have your own space. When you come home, you have your family and then to keep mulling over it. No, the mulling has happened at work and now, you know, otherwise we might as well be hundred percent neurosurgeons with no other, portions of our life that's that's not that's not the equanimity huh, that joe maroon talked about in that yes. article back in 1985 or you know the the proper balance if in one's life that doesn't work that doesn't work for, not doesn't work for me at least uh, you know sometimes families may uh, or patients may feel a little bit shut off after you know a complication and they may certainly be with feel withdrawn or you may try to you know talk to them and they're not really wanting to hear, or they may, may need that time. How do you how do you manage in situations where it's, you know, it's evident that um, maybe they they need a little bit of space to kind of process, or you know, when do you go back? You know, how often do you talk to a patient and their family in that kind of setting? You're really asking you really very good questions that don't have an algorithm. <laughs> right. uh, I know, I know, I know. I'd love to tell you I have a nice algorithmic way to deal with it. And the part of, I mean, the good thing about trying to be a good psychologist is you get that inner sense of what works with one family, what doesn't. Um, some families are desperate for every bit of information you can give them. Some are in a little bit of a denial. So you give them the information a little bit at a time. You. The come, I would say the common thread of how to do it best is, is they need to trust you. I mean, you've got to look in their eyes as you're talking to them. Are they looking at you in an angry way? Are they looking at you as a person who hurt my mom or dad or brother or sister? And you need to cross over. You need to leave this, you know, where in academia, you know, we get blamed of living in an ivory tower and so forth. No, you need to, to break those barriers, whatever it takes. If it takes an embrace, if it takes a hug, if it takes a, a sentence of, trust me, I'm just telling you what, what you know, I, I, whatever it takes, you've got to win them to your side. And no, sometimes you can't, and there is nothing you can do. And uh, 
but you they need to see that you are hurting like they are and it cannot be an act they will absolutely recognize that you are fake you uh, you it cannot be an act if they see your sincerity that's that's half of the battle won the rest then they will trust you if you're sincere you show empathy you gain their trust again it it sounds like you're doing it in order to get there but that's not why you're doing it. you're doing it because that's the right thing to do right yeah i appreciate that uh, yeah I was, I was, obviously you know this doesn't come with with an algorithm and then there is no you know there's lots of right ways to do it and that's why i think your article is so important and, and helpful for us what about your your own ego or your your uh, confidence you know when something really bad happens like that how do you deal with that yeah you question it paul you know you question it you say what well, well i mean it depends what actually happened you know uh, oh man i was too aggressive why did i remove that last five percent of tumor should have mm -hmm. stopped and you know obviously you, the way you and I practice today, Paul, after many years of practice is colored by those earlier mistakes we've made. When we took a little bit more tumor, when we maybe didn't put a temporary clip on the, aneur uh, on the, on the parent vessel before you clip an aneurysm mm -hmm. and it tore at the neck. And I mean, we are, we, we are the product of our former mistakes and which is what obviously experience is. Uh, the ego, I, I mean, I, I I don't know that I can say well I mean my well of course you need to stay humble but you don't want to destroy your confidence it's right. okay yeah. to it, it's okay to temper your ego you should I mean I don't know what we really mean by ego when we say it confidence is an ego confidence right. is good uh, but uh, certainly arrogance is not confidence is good yeah. Yeah, and the, you know to remember your complications and to study them. We all do that in our in our M and M, you know, in a in a focused manner. You know, and I tell uh, residents, I I go into cases now, and I'll be you know clipping an aneurysm or doing doing a bit of dissection somewhere, and I can literally remember the room, the evening that we discussed you know, the complication in. You know, being in. Uh, you know, that uh, Mayo, uh, fifth floor Mayo room at yes. the University of Minnesota, uh, you know, and the, the evening that we discussed the complication where this tumor was attempted to be removed from the sagittal sinus or where the clip went on uh, and uh, the neck tore. And I, and I remember those, those conferences just as I'm preparing for the case, you know. You know, I, I also get similar experiences. I, I, I get I'm, let's say I'm about I'm doing a step in some surgery that I've done hundreds of times before and in my head runs a saccade of movies like little snippets of previous times where it wasn't done perfectly in that I haven't done it perfectly and it's it's fast yeah it's I mean I guess that's how what training is all about and yeah developing experience oh great this is a such a great discussion and um really want to well, thank everyone for joining. As we as we wrap up, uh, I'd like to sincerely thank our panelists, Dr. Morcos, Dr. Camarada, Dr. Wong, for joining us and really making for a fascinating conversation. Um, thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Journal Club podcast. And I'd like to remind our listeners that today's podcast activity is available for 1.5 CME credits through the CNS online catalog and is complimentary to CNS members. 
And I just like to conclude by saying thank you and please join us again uh, next month for the October edition of the Journal Club podcast.